Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Fantasy Scouts podcast. Episode number six coming at you on Wednesday, March 17th. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined, as always, by Matt Nine and Andrew Woodruff. Got a special guest today. Corey Bushland joins us in place of Sam. Uh, we're going to talk free agency today. A lot of stuff happening, obviously, in the NFL. Um, so many names, so many moves to talk about it. That's going to be the show. We're just going to run through some of the big free agent signings, how it's affected uh, players' impacts, and what we want to do with those guys going forward. Let's get into it. Before the legal tampering period opened, Aaron Jones agreed to return to the Green Bay Packers with Jamal Williams coming out to say that he is likely leaving the Packers. Obviously, they have A.J. Dillon in town, uh, the second-round pick last year. Everybody remembers that, being how unhappy everybody was with that pick. But I think most people expected Aaron Jones to be on the way out. So now that he's returning to Green Bay... Does that affect your ranking for him, and, and kind of what is your outlook for Aaron Jones here? Corey, let's, uh, let's start with you, the new guy on the show. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me on. Aaron Jones is a guy that I kind of expected to come back to Green Bay, to be honest, so I had him ranked as if he was going back to Green Bay because uh, I actually thought he would get franchise tagged. Obviously, when he didn't, that cast some doubt on him actually coming back, but he's a guy firmly in my top 10, right in that second tier of running backs behind the, the big guns, obviously, the Derrick Henrys and the... Christian McCaffrey's and stuff. So he's a guy I have at RB9, but it's a big uh, big tier with like Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, guys like that. Um, it's kind of surround Aaron Jones in my rankings. Yeah, so I have him at 14 right now. I'll probably move him up to 12. Uh, I got to be honest, I would have been much more excited about his fantasy outlook and his ranking would have been much higher had he gone to Miami, only because we know Brian Flores wants one guy to do everything. He doesn't want a whole bunch of guys. Uh, but the fact he's saying in Green Bay is fine. Obviously, he's still going to be an RB1. Uh, Jamal Williams leaving, you know, op- opens the door for probably a handful more touches. But, you know, A.J. Dillon's not going to go anywhere. You know, they invested draft capital on him. He's going to get, um, you know, in-, in comparison, maybe the James Robinson, Carlos Hyde. You know, A.J. Dillon could get the 80 to 100 touches while Aaron Jones is still the clear, you know, 200-250 touch guy for the year. Yeah, I was, like, I was kind of similar to Matt. I wasn't sure where he was going to land. I knew we've been hearing different rumors of what teams he might go to. So for me, he was sitting about RB14, RB15 right there. Uh, once the news did break, I went ahead and adjusted him. He's now also my RB9, um, right behind Swift and a couple other guys in that tier. I don't have an issue with him. If somebody wants to go get him for their RB1, I think we know what he's going to be. He's going to be the guy who is the number one for the team. He's going to get most of the passes thrown his way. We haven't seen A.J. Dillon do it yet, but I don't know if we can say A.J. Dillon is Jamal Williams' level of pass-catching skills. So I would have no issue if somebody's looking to move up and grab him. Yeah, I think I don't I, you know, I don't have a lot to add. I think you guys kind of get it. I have him at RB8, and I probably won't move him much. He's interesting now because he, he probably gets more of that passing work with Jamal gone, but I wonder about the red zone and kind of how they will use A.J. Dillon because I do think – they have a plan for him, and obviously if, if Jones had gone to Miami, like you said, Matt, it, he might have kind of been a true workhorse kind of guy. So he's probably not moving much for me. Like I said, I have him at RB8 in my dynasty rankings, and he's probably just going to stay right there. So um, not a lot not a lot of updating there on Aaron Jones for me. But let's go ahead and get into some guys who found new homes And obviously the Patriots were extremely active, very much unlike them. They added four pass catchers, uh, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne. We were all, I don't think it was surprising that they added Jonu Smith, given we know Bill Belichick's love for Jonu. He's commented on that in the past. But then he went out and grabbed Hunter Henry after signing Jonu. And these are two tight ends that people were really excited about. Uh, this offseason and, and where they were going to land. So 
does it kill their value or, or how are you guys feeling about those tight ends and really the Pats offense as a whole? Andrew, let's let's start with the, the Pats fan here. <laughs> I don't have an issue talking about Pats any day. I know but, you I know you do. Uh yeah, they both I was looking at rankings right now, they both took a dive down for me. I had them, I believe, sitting at like tight end eight and nine personally because I thought they were gonna get to be the guy by themselves at different offenses. Um they're now sitting right there, twelve and thirteen. So just border, borderline tight end one. It's just kind of hoping that if the team doesn't add another outside weapon as a receiver, Aguilar does not count. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, maybe, maybe they'll get that eighty targets a piece we're hoping for, and that they'll be able to get just enough touchdowns to help you out. Personally, if they're for fantasy purposes, you might want them as a tight end too to help out in some stream weeks. But I hope you're not choosing them to start off. Aguilar, I know people are pissed about that if they just go to Twitter. Like, it's so easy finding the people upset about it. About $26 million for two years. Like, people are getting upset about it. But if they would just take a second, stop, and wait for his details to come out, I'm pretty confident it's not too bad. I still think it's probably going to be a little bit of an overpay. But we did just see the guy break out for the Raiders. He proved to be that deep threat and had almost 800 yards, seven touchdowns, while Waller was already working the middle of the field. If he can come in and be the number three target like that, that's fine. But unless you're playing 16-team dynasty-type settings, I wouldn't touch him. Or if you're playing best ball, maybe he's a last-round flyer-type kind of guy. And then when it comes to Kendrick Bourne, I think the only dude has like $3.5 million guaranteed out of his total contract right now. So he's he's not really anything I'm excited about. But the offense is definitely better than it was last year. 31st in passing total, almost dead last also in uh, receiving yardage. It's going to go up some. Like, I know Sam Harp's on returning to average before. Well, this is a team that's actually taking steps to return to average. Chicago Bears, they are not taking steps to return to average, which is why last time we were talking about it, I told him, I was like, I don't think they're actually going to return anywhere close to average. Patriots, though, I think there's a chance they're not going to be 16th or right there, but they'll be better. So the John New Smith signing, or signing was exciting to start with. And then they decided to go out and sign Hunter Henry today or this morning, and it just plummeted both of their values. Uh, for me, they're they're mm-hmm. definitely outside of the top twelve. They're probably somewhere in the thirteen to seventeen range. Uh, but Mike Clay tweeted out this morning: over the past twelve years, we've only had two tight ends finish in the top ten twice. One of them was the elite duo of Hernandez and Gronkowski. They finished one and three respectively. And then in 2019, it was Ertz and Goddard, and that's because all the receivers on their roster were dead. So the chances of this duo finishing both inside the top 10 are super, super slim. I think one will emerge, uh, and I think the other guy will be more, you know, kind of regulated to red zone only or blocking only, something like that. Uh, I did find Bill Belichick's quote interesting about Janu. Uh, he specifically mentioned that the Titans used him at a running back from time to time. So I wonder if Hunter Henry is going to be your true tight end and Janu's going to be just this weird weapon that he can just put everywhere, you know, play the X, play tight end, play running back, fullback, uh, and just do all, all kinds of all kinds of stuff with him. Uh, between the two receivers, Aguilar, Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, uh, the money suggests Aguilar is going to have a pretty significant role in this offense. Uh, I'm not, personally not a Cam Newton fan anymore. I don't think he has what it takes to get the ball downfield uh, to, to him, but we'll see. Uh, and then Kendrick Bourne, I think, is a super underrated wide receiver. I've been tired of watching him play against the Seahawks for the past two years. This guy got some great hands. He's super shifty. Uh, he was stuck on an offense that doesn't throw a lot, but for what the Pan- or the Patriots want to do, uh, Kendrick Bourne is perfect right across the middle. Uh, his comeback routes and stuff like that. Just, you know, possession guy that does have some pretty good speed. Yeah, I, you guys basically summed up most of it. My only thing is, I, I agree with you, Matt. I think the move tight end is, is Johnu, and I think Hunter Henry's more of your, your inline blocker and the guy that you use in the red zone. Both of these guys are tremendous in the red zone. They were both very productive last year, and Hunter Henry, especially his whole career. Johnu Smith, I'm still interested in. I think he still has a chance to be that back he's probably only a back end tight end one at most he probably doesn't have the ceiling he would have had even if he returned to tennessee or if he went to a better landing spot 
but he is a guy that I envision they have a role for. And if I if I'm gonna trust anyone to use a guy like Johnny Smith correctly, what I what I think he's capable of doing, I'm gonna trust Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. I think the quote that they talked about is definitely uh, is accurate. They think he can do a lot of things, and I think they're gonna put him in that position to do a lot of things. As far as the receivers go, I don't know if you guys have uh, heard the I Am Athlete podcast with uh, with Cam Newton on with Ocho Cinco and Brandon Marshall, but. Those guys were talking about, they're like, yo, you need a dude. You need that dude on your offense. Like, you don't have that dude. And they still don't. They have two receivers that are, like, a number two, maybe, a number three receiver in Aguilar, and then a number four receiver in Bourne. To me, I would love to see them add that dude, whether it's through trade or they draft, I don't know, Jalen Waddell, Rashad Bateman, or at 15 if they're there. I still think they're they're not done adding to this offense. I think the draft is where they find their dude, and I'm, I'm hoping it's Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, but... Uh, this offense is definitely significantly better. And I think the biggest takeaway for this is that this helps Cam Newton's passing output, obviously. And it probably um, leads them to be a little less predictable, especially in the red zone where they were just running Cam up the middle on the goal line and in the red zone in general. So, I mean, maybe it takes away from Damian Harris and Cam Newton's rushing touchdown uh, upside. And maybe it puts a little bit more into the passing side for the tight ends. But I think overall, this just makes the offense better, but they still have work to do. I would even look to to start to sell Damien Harris. I would shop him around because you know the reports leaked how they're talk or not leaked, but how they're talking about you know they sent an offer out to Leonard Fournette and they've been talking to Chris Carson's representatives. Even if they don't sign either one of the guys, it shows that they're not content with what they have in the backfield right now, which is not a good sign. I've been saying for the past year, Damien Harris is just a guy. I mean, he sat behind at Alabama, and you're like, yeah, but all this talent above him. And I was like, yeah, but there was, you know, he was not nearly as good as those guys ahead of him, and he had to wait till senior year when there was no one behind him. So I'm not impressed with him. Uh, I'd be looking to sell him. You know, as you allude to, Corey, the offense is going to get better. Either Fournette, preferably Chris Carson, I think would really take a load up. No, Fournette, get him out of my, get him <laughs> off my team. I don't want him on my team. I think Chris Carson would be well. Actually, yes, let's do Fournette so Penny can stay alive. Uh, but either either one, uh, I think they they're going to help out Cam tremendously. But I, I was I was thinking I saw somebody tweet this and, and it got me thinking. What what do you think their plan is at quarterback past Newton? Because they only signed him to one year deal, and it's tough to imagine that they got all these guys to sign without telling them that they have a contingency plan in place you think you know with their first round pick they either trade up or or go get a quarterback to sit behind newton for a year so i think it's interesting that you ask that because and andrew i know you have something to say on this so i'll let you get to it but i think i heard uh somebody i believe it was dan orlovsky was talking about them moving up for trey lance and i think I don't know if they like Lance. I don't know if that's their plan, but I think it makes some sense because you bring, I think a lot of people were surprised they brought Cam Newton back. They brought him back for one year. Uh, If you brought in somebody like Trey Lance, he has a similar, I mean, he's not as thick as a Cam Newton. They're a little bit different. Trey Lance has a phenomenal arm, but they do a lot of the same things well. And Trey Lance, as we talked about, Matt, on our last podcast, he's somebody who probably needs to sit for a year. I just think that would be super interesting because I think sitting behind Cam for a year would be a good spot for Trey Lance. And I think then it would make sense and bring everything full circle as to why they wanted Cam back for one year. Yeah, I mean, you're right on, dude. I was about to say, Trey Lance looks like it's going to be their target for sure. We've seen some other moves. We saw them just trade a tackle just to move up a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. They're getting those picks a little bit higher so they can make it a better trade value, moving up to teams and trying to jump in front of people like the Panthers to get into the top ten. I really do think Trey Lance is going to be end up being the target if it's not like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, even though I think those two guys, are whichever one drops to the Falcons at number four, somebody's going to trade up more than the pa- uh, Patriots can and take him instead. Okay. So I think Trey Lance is going to end up being their ultimate target. But, Matt, just to kind of hit on the point, you're talking about the running backs. I think it is wise if you can sell Damon Harris for a good value. But I think part of the reason they're looking at this, and I was talking to some people on Twitter about it, I think the reason they're doing this as far as looking at free agent running backs is because we have to look at who do they have. You've got Damon Harris, you've got J.J. Taylor, and then you've got Sony Michelle. It's not a lot of people I trust right there. So you bring in a short-term vet, they'll probably use one of their later picks to go get some rookie to develop behind the scenes like they've done with James White, Shane Vereen, somebody of that type of nature. 
So I think the short-term vet move was more or less to just to get Sony Michelle insurance because I don't trust that guy. I don't know how his knee is, but I know it's been an issue, and he is much older than most people from that draft class. I, I totally agree with you. I, I'm actually not really on the board of um, selling Damian Harris. I think he's a very competent RB2. I don't think he's ever going to be much more than that because the Patriots mm-hmm. aren't going to give a guy 80% opportunity share or anything like that. But I think he's a good ball carrier. I think he'll probably get the majority of the red zone work. He'll probably be limited in the passing game to some extent. But I don't think he's like a complete sell candidate. The Patriots are not going to go into a season with Damian Harris, J.J. Taylor, and Sony Michelle. To me, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's the type of move that they're going to look to – uh, make an addition for they're not just adding a guy just because they don't believe in Damian Harris they just they're a stable of backs type of team and they're always going to be that way yeah and I mean we've seen it do it all their whole career pretty much what from what I've watched they brought in LeGarrette Blunt. he worked out they said okay we're keeping him they brought in Ben Harvest uh, Ben Harvest Green Ellis and throwing it way back Jeremy Hill like they bring in these short-term guys to say okay prove it to me can you can you provide us a short-term answer if not we're moving on we'll keep the guys we already got that we're working with but right now they just they got nobody in the pipeline that they're working to get ready for the field. Deion Lewis, a free agent. So I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> so who who uh, what do the Patriots trade to not. come up? Because you're gonna assume at this point Lance is probably a lock in the top four. So and the Patriots are sitting I at fifteen. So three. so what 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 do, what do you have? They have they have fifteen, forty six, they got a third round comp pick at ninety seven and then two fourths at one twenty one and one forty. I don't know if that's enough. It's going to require some future picks. A, tw- a 2022 one? Future picks. I still don't feel like that somebody Let's... that somebody would let that go. Because it would probably have to be Miami or Cincinnati. Are we sure Lance is a lock to go that high? I think the Panthers pull the trigger on him if he's on the board. I don't think there's any chance to pass on him. I do too. I think the Panthers are a good fit, but they they're at eight. I don't. Yeah, know, but don't Sam, like San Francisco and New England know that the Panthers are at eight, and they also know that the Lions are at seven. So if they were to come up, you got to jump those teams. Unless Detroit is in full rebuild mode, they still want to collect picks. Maybe you could trade up with Detroit if they're not looking to add a quarterback. They just want to get let Jared Goff get his get his you know what kicked for a year and and rebuild after that. But I think you have to get in front of Carolina, so you like you have to go at least to seven. I, I think I think four of the five go in the top five, and then all five will be gone by eight. So Matt, you're asking like, what do they have? They also have Stephon Gilmore, Dante Hightower, Isaiah Wynn. They've got other pieces well, they would have think to be would able to include. Stephon Gilmore is interesting though. Gilmore could be though for sure, especially for like a team like the Bengals who think. Let's move back. Let's get a couple more picks in. Let's keep building around. Gilmore to Miami with Brian Flores being there. That feels like that would be the move for that. If that were if that were to happen. Yeah, that seems like a good fit. I just have a couple things to add before we move on. I first of all, I appreciate the Ben Jarvis screen Ellis shout out. I still have a fantasy team named the Law Firm because (laughs) he was my flex one year and helped carry me to a title. And my love for him uh, is still strong to this day. Uh, the law firm, you gotta love it. Adrian Peterson kind of feels like uh, a patriot. I don't know if he really fits, but just like an old AP, just screen. They can always bring back Rex or something too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't want to. I don't want any part of this, um, but I saw that the Steelers were talking to Adrian Peterson. Ugh. That the who Steelers? was? Yeah, that's. It's just I'm trying to hold my vomit back. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just the the Bill Belichick quote on Jonu Smith last year after they played was just for those of you who haven't heard it. He was asked if if Jonu Smith is like more than a tight end, if he's like a wide receiver more than a tight end, and Belichick said he's just a really good tight end. He can do a lot of things, blocks well, runs well, is a good receiver. I mean, they played him at tailback. He looked pretty good back there. So he's a very athletic player, hard to tackle, catches the ball well. He's great after the catch, probably the best in the league. I mean, I can't imagine anybody better than him after the catch. No, he looks like a tight end to me and a good one. So just wanted to throw that out there. And, and they'll probably move him around, but he's he's for sure a tight end, and Belichick loves him some Johnny Smith. So I think he's probably the preferred option there. But I pretty much echo everything you guys said. And then I just also, I mean, Aguilar being – a deep thread. It makes me wonder. Cam Newton was 32nd in air yards per attempt last year 
who uh, did he have? Seven. No, and that's what I'm asking is like, is it because the personnel or is it because he looked like he was shot putting the football whenever he tried to throw deep? Well, I don't I know, but you. I'm just okay. Tell me, uh, Edelman's not a deep guy. The kill Harry, uh, Demir Bird's pretty fast. I mean, Jacoby Myers is fast. I'm not saying they're good wide receivers, but those are guys that can definitely stretch the field. And if you can't even hit them, I mean, because it's not because it, it's not I'm so saying. much as like he was hitting them and then you know their hands let them down or they ran the wrong route or something like that. Like he was like overthrowing it, underthrowing it, throwing it too far out of bounds uh, down the sideline. I just I I don't have any faith that Cam Newton can throw the ball downfield consistently. I mean. You know, thinking back to the Seahawks game, was it week three last year? He hit several guys, you know, down the seam, you know, Edelman right over the middle on their, you know, uh, touchdown drive to to get within two points or whatever it was. So, I mean, he can do it. I just, it's just not going to be consistent enough where I'm like, yes, I want Aguilar. Yes, I want to start him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and that's, start him. that's why I think the Trey Lance move would make a lot of sense because that's the only reason I can justify, like, bringing cam newton back is because they're building this offense a specific type of way and they want to keep it consistent with cam and then move to to trey lance otherwise i'm like i don't really know why you you bring cam newton back but he's probably a contingency plan too most teams will do this like i know my own team like we're gonna sign james white it's just gonna happen and the reason is is because they probably want uh, michael carter or kenneth gainwell or something in the draft somewhere, but they're not going to be hamstrung into picking one of those guys. Same goes for the Patriots. They want a quarterback. They want probably a Trey Lance. Maybe even they're interested in Mac Jones, but they're not going to force the pick or have to trade up if they like, cause if you're in that position, you have no quarterbacks on your roster. Everyone knows you need a quarterback, right? And then they can get more out of a trade. At least if you have Cam Newton, you can kind of convince teams that you're not completely desperate at the position. So interesting name. I want to bring up Corey, I messaged you about this guy the other day, and I brought it up in our Patreon-only podcast. So Davis Mills, uh, after we got done recording that, I actually found out that a lot of NFL teams have a third-round grade on him right now, and he fits the Tom Brady mold. So I wonder if they go with Cam Newton, but then go back to what's worked before. Have your pocket passer, a guy that can manipulate the pocket, and, you know, I, I've seen it on film several times. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the scouts. He does have a, a very, very strong arm. He can throw it, you know, 70 yards with ease. And he does have a really tight spin on the ball. So the the tools are there, but there's the question of the reoccurring knee injuries. Uh, he's very good at, at moving inside the pocket. And it's just, you know, do the Patriots want to roll with Newton for a year? Maybe another guy next year, you know, would he be ready after a year? But he fits a quote-unquote Patriot-style quarterback. So I just think it's an interesting name to, to keep in mind. Yeah, good point, Matt. Uh, let's travel to New York, and the Jets added their potential wide receiver one in Corey Davis. What do you think, Matt? Is he? How do you like that signing for the Jets? Is he going to be their number one over Denzel Mims? So I was all aboard the Corey Davis hype train when he came out of Western Michigan, and I was woefully let down up until maybe this year. But I, I have held firm. I did. I did end up selling my shares. I think I gave up. Uh, Last offseason, uh, he had a pretty good year this year, so maybe I gave up a year too soon. But what's I, what's the difference between him and Mims, really? I mean, Mims is probably more athletic. I mean, not saying that Corey Davis is not athletic, but you got two big guys, perimeter guys. Uh, got Crowder in the slot. I do know that they're looking to add another speed guy. I, I think it all comes down to the quarterback. I mean, Corey Davis is, is fun. Uh, I own him in one league. It was actually in our fantasy scout startup that we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, and depending on who they get the quarterback, I mean, Zach Wilson, that, that'd be a lot of fun. I'd, I'd feel much better about Corey Davis, but I just, I just, I wonder what their plan is for Mims. Then maybe they treat him just speculating here, like a Claypool play quote unquote, big slot. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, so I just, I like Corey Davis. I think he's a good buy. He's probably a wide receiver th- three ish. I'm not sure I would feel confident starting him week in, week out, but he's definitely one of your higher priority bench wide receivers that you'd want to have. Yeah, I mean, for Corey Davis, it's really hard to envision this as like a win for him because it's the New York Jets. And granted, it's not the Adam Gase Jets, so that's a a good sign at least. I think Salas and uh, Joe Douglas are doing a good job there. But the problem is, 
is we've seen this story before. We've seen a story where Corey Davis has, has been thrust into the number one role, and I think he's a better player now than he was back in 2017, 2018, before A.J. Brown got there. But I still don't have 100% faith in the guy to to be the number one receiver in the pass funnel of the offense, whether it is Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or even Sam Darnold still p- passing him the ball. I don't really like that quarterback situation early. And I'm always, I've always been of the mindset that I want my guys, especially new acquisitions like a free agent or a draft pick, to be able to produce right away and get off to a hot start. So I'm not really excited about this landing spot. I think there's a number of other places he could have went to that would have been better for his fantasy value. I also think it's worth, it's worth noting, too, that whoever the number one receiver is for the Jets has to see Tredavious White, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, and Stephon Gilmore six times a year. So if he is the clear-cut number one, and a lot of those teams play shadow coverage, then he is going to have some bad, bad matchups most of the season. Yep. Corey, you are definitely on point right there. I about to say, I was already thinking about it doesn't matter who's number one. That that offense going against that kind of schedule is not for me anyway. But we have to think about it. Last time, last time we've seen a not top-tier star like a Hopkins or a Diggs move teams, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Any person that's not like an already an all-star moving to a different team, the numbers drop. They're going to go down. And even if we see that he ends up being the receiver two, they put Mims or maybe someone who's not on the team yet at receiver one, like we know Bill Belichick's method is normally he's going to bracket coverage the guy he's not going to focus on anyway. So it's going to see a corner and a safety. I just, I'm not interested in either of them. But personally, I feel like, I feel like he's going to end up being the receiver too. I don't know if the receiver one is on on the team yet. For me, as a general rule of thumb, I always avoid fantasy players on bad football teams and poorly run franchises. The Jets are one of the worst run franchises. I typically want nothing to do with them. I don't care how good Bims is. I don't care how good their incoming rookie quarterback is. They, they, it's just it's never right. You know, it could be good for a handful of games, and then somebody from up top is going to stick their hand down in the pot. It's going to screw it all up. Uh, so. You know, Corey made a good point with the defensive backs you're seeing. And then on top of that, it's a rookie quarterback that's thrown to him. So don't be Zach Wilson. Please don't let Zach Wilson die in New York. So it's kind of one of those things. Like, you know, we saw Corey Davis with a rookie quarterback, Marcus Mariota. And that did not work out well. Marcus Mariota was not as good as we thought he was going to be. You know, I'm not saying Zach Wilson or or Justin Fields or whoever they take at number two is as bad as Marcus Mariota will turn out. But, again, it's still the rookie quarterback. There is going to be some learning curves and he's not he's not going to be sharp right away so it's kind of like you know one you got a guy going up against you know three of the you know nfl's best corners six times a year and you got a rookie quarterback throwing to him that's run by an extremely poor franchise so i just like i said i'm not i'm not all about it and those examples that you uh listed andrew the the digs and the hopkins went to much better teams and much better franchises and much better quarterbacks too even i mean i compared zach wilson to kyler murray so maybe maybe i'm telling on myself a little bit but yeah i i think those and also those guys are just way more talented than Corey davis too i'm not 100 percent sold that Corey davis is some number one receiver all of a sudden either way i think it's it's not a great situation for him all to, all, all told yeah i agree with that i think you guys made a lot of good points if i'm if I'm choosing one, well, first of all, it's it is a poorly run organization. But like you said, Corey, I think Robert Sala and staff are. It's it feels like it's the start of a turnaround. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it seems like they're doing a lot of good things there. I think if I'm picking one of these guys, I prefer Mims just because of his raw upside and the absolute athlete that he is. And like you said, Corey, we've seen we've seen Corey Davis in a number one role, and he's. He he profiles better as like a high end uh, number two, but um, to your point, Andrew, the, the number one wide receiver might not even be on the team yet. So I'm I'm mostly staying away from these guys, but I don't hate stashing Mims and Dynasty for cheap uh, just because of the the raw athlete. That I, I hate it. I hate I hate Denzel Mims. <laughs> I, the reason is because you said for cheap, and you kind of told on yourself again there. You're like I hate, I don't hate stashing Denzel Mims for cheap, but he's like the number one stash candidate in every article that you're ever gonna read. So to me, he's overvalued for that reason because the guy hasn't done anything yet. So a hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. And I we talked about these second year wide receivers on our show uh, last maybe a couple weeks ago now, and. He was he was very near the bottom for me just because like 
because of what you said like he's he's a big stash guy like he's trendy he's almost like not cheap because he's trendy but he also is not somebody like he's not somebody i want to invest in by any means um but again people want denzel mims to be what chase claypool is and it's just never gonna happen yeah no he's too too stiff to me he's exactly what people thought dk metcalf was there you go i like that too yeah yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, and I heard the Josh Gordon comp a lot coming out, and I guess the Baylor, you know, the Baylor tape and stuff. But he's he's none of those guys. So let's be clear. But I want to talk about a wide receiver quarterback connection that I like a lot better than anything we're gonna see in New York, and that's with the football team in Washington. Fitzmagic coming in. Um, Terry McLaurin is one of my favorite just players really the dude is i think a stud and he has not played with a competent quarterback yet so i'm really excited to see this i mean last year i'm looking at the numbers now he had 668 unrealized air yards 13th in the league and fitzpatrick does throw the ball downfield a lot more than anything terry mclaurin has seen yet so I have, you know, I think McLaurin is like a firm, firm wide receiver one next year. Maybe like a mid-tier wide receiver one. Uh, I don't know how much he'll move up in my dynasty ranks. I have him at wide receiver 11 just because of his age. I mean, he came into the league a little bit later. He's, you know, he's going to be 26 next year, I think. So he'll probably be, I might move him up a couple spots, but he's probably like a back-end, tight, a back-end wide receiver one in terms of dynasty for me. But I'm just really excited to see these two play together. What do you think, Andrew? Chad, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I I think I got him still at ten right now. He might fall once, but I don't know. I'm excited to see what he can do, but we also have to realize Fitzpatrick at his age, the drop off could be coming at any point. I hope it's not this year. I would love to see Terry get a true, decent quarterback to work under and see what he can do down the field and continue to just show off his talents. Um. Overall, I think like when it comes to Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you need that real deep throw QB4 that you think has a massive upside, I mean, we're not even mentioning Gibson yet. Between Gibson and Terry, I think Fitzpatrick can have a decent output if you need somebody as a super flex. Say you're in that Dak Prescott owner from last year, you lost your main quarterback to an injury. I think he could be that guy that kind of helps you float through the year until you get your guy back. Um, Terry... I don't, I don't know where we're going to see him at overall, but it's going to be a very interesting year. I think it's going to be anywhere from a ceiling of receiver eight or so to mid receiver two at, at worst, I feel like, assuming, again, Fitzpatrick can stay standing upright the whole year. Yeah, um, Chad talked about the quarterbacks that Terry McLaurin's played with. Here's, here's the list. You want to hear the list? Dwayne Haskins, Case Keenum. Alex Smith, Kyle Allen, and Taylor Heineke. That's who Terry McLaurin's played within his career. You know who it reminds me of? It reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins before he got Deshaun Watson. And I'm not saying that Ryan Fitzpatrick is Deshaun Watson, but is Ryan Fitzpatrick a top 20 quarterback in the NFL? Probably. And I think Fitz is by far the best quarterback he's played with. That's for sure. And 134 targets that Terry McLaurin had last year, only 99 of which were actually deemed catchable targets, which was number 75 in the NFL in terms of his catchable target rate. 5.2 target quality rating, ranked number 69 in the NFL. Not to mention he only had four touchdowns despite having that much volume. So if nothing else, it should improve the offense and it should thus improve Terry McLaurin's touchdown ceiling. I think this guy with Ryan Fitzpatrick, if Ryan Fitzpatrick plays anything like he did in Tampa Bay or the last two years in Miami, I think Terry McLaurin has a top five ceiling now, in my opinion. Another guy that hasn't had a good track record of quarterbacks is Allen Robinson with Blake Bortles and Trubisky. Much shorter. He's got any yeah, much now. shorter list, but it's it's bad how you sometimes you see these really great guys to just get wasted away. But yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a gunslinger uh, for sure. I do like uh, Terry McLaurin's ceiling this year. Absolutely, he's going to push the ball down the field, which is something that Alex Smith really didn't do. He's more of a conservative quarterback, and Ryan Fitzpatrick's just kind of like, "Fuck it, let's do it." So. My my biggest thing that I took away from this is that Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard, and that shows he's a very cerebral quarterback. And when did he go to Harvard? I don't think I've ever yeah, heard anyone no, say that. Never. Uh, never but my biggest takeaway was, was was like, yes, uh, I do like uh, Terry McLaurin's upside. I, I do like you know Logan Thomas a little bit more. But 
we saw what he did with Miles Gaskin last year. He knows where the check down is at all times, and he's not afraid to go there. Antonio Gibson should see a ton of receiving work when he's on the field. I, I, I don't know. Dude. J.D. McKissick had like 16 target games last year. I don't know. I don't know if it helps Antonio Gibson until he gets McKissick out of the way. Well, first. I, I mean, you know, we, we've talked to the guy that we have on staff who you know, is very familiar with their, with their team. Uh, he he said J.D. McKissick's not going anywhere. He's uh, He definitely has a role, but was it? Oh, I don't have that number off the top of my head. I don't think Antonio Gibson saw, but what, 45 targets last year or something like that? So that number's definitely going to go up, yep. and he'll prob- his snap percentage will go up. So you have to assume everything kind of upticks a little bit. So, like I said, if he's on the field, I, I think you know Fitzpatrick is going to – he knows where that outlet is. But I definitely – yeah, I agree with you. I don't think McKissick's going away. I, I think – you know, we'll see Antonio Gibson play maybe, you know, 60, 65% of the yearly uh, snap share. And then uh, J.D. McKissick, you know, well, he'll have his own drives where he's, he's the guy that, for, you know, the whole series. I think the key for Gibson, too, is the pass protection mm-hmm. side of things. If you look at his, like, grades in terms of pass protection, they're terrible, right? And it's it's understandable. He played wide receiver in college. Like, he, like Kenneth Gainwell was the running back that would stay in and on protection. And Antonio Gibson was split out wide most of the time, and he had no offseason and all the, the same narrative for every player. But that probably hurt him a lot. And I think the, the camp reports that you're going to want to hear, that you're going to want to follow with Antonio Gibson, is how is he looking in protection? And if we have a preseason, if we're able to see that. Because I think I think Jared Smoller, someone tweeted this out like late in the season, that he only had like 2% of his production on third down. They like like they didn't trust him at all on third down. It's understandable given how bad he was in protection. Yeah, and like you said, you know that those are the reports you're going to watch for in you know training camp and, and stuff like that coming up. So you assume if he does work on that, because we saw you know Ronald Jones highlight video after highlight video of last year of working on pass pro. You you got to assume Antonio Gibson. He knows his weakness. He's doing the same thing. So again, that snap share should go up, and we're going to know week one right away. We'll we'll find out you know in the first two series if they have been on third down or not. Yeah, and just to circle back i'll talk about terry mclaurin for the rest of the show if you guys just want to mute and hang out but 200 or 2037 yards and 11 touchdowns through two years with those quarterbacks you listed Corey. so this guy's the limit with uh fitzpatrick and we'll see what they end up doing if they if they bring in a rookie or kind of what the long-term plan is because obviously that they saw to find somebody long-term to pair with terry um Let's go to the New Orleans Saints. They are bringing back Jameis Winston. He's a guy I mentioned as kind of a late-round QB target on the show last week. Really excited about him with this offense. What does it mean for, like, what is his value? How do we feel about Michael Thomas, Adam Troutman? Is Traquan Smith a thing? How do we feel about Winston and the Saints? Corey, start with you. your favorite team. Yeah, so... I mean, this is this is my dude. Like James, like I, I'm a Bucks fan. I like Jameis Winston's my guy, and I actually just, for the record, find it hilarious that Saints fans think he's their savior when they all they did was make fun of the guy for but five he got years LASIK. when he was Tampa Bay's quarterback. LASIK. Yeah, he got LASIK. Yeah, he's fixed. Anyway, James uh, to me, Jameis Winston, he obviously helps um, push the push the offense. Obviously, I don't think he like that necessarily means Traquan Smith is a thing. But I do think it opens up the offense and leads for, for, to more big plays. The only problem with that is, is like the fantasy assets that we're interested in the offense don't really do that. Like Michael Thomas is the the intermediate short guy. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a running back, but he does run some vertical routes for a running back. And then Adam Troutman, we have we've kind of yet to see him really do anything. Like he had, I mean, a, a solid rookie season for a tight end, I guess. But he hasn't like obviously the vacated production that Jared Cook left behind and the other tight end that was cut as well. But I think it's kind of a neutral move, to be honest. I don't think the offense is going to be much better or worse than it was with Drew Brees. I think the big thing to pay attention to is how Taysom Hill's role changes, if it changes, um, with Jameis Winston as the quarterback. Maybe they use him more. I don't know. We'll kind of have to see how the like competition works out because he is still going to be a part of their game plan. He's not going away. And that's been the problem, Like at least for Jameis Winston's value himself. Uh, as a fantasy quarterback, you always have to worry about what is Taysom Hill's role on his gadget plays and how many touches in the red zone is he taking away from Jameis Winston. The same concerns we had with Drew Brees. So, yeah, Jameis Winston coming back is fine. I don't think the value of the skill position players changes that much, uh, as Corey alluded to. But I do know that uh, Sean Payton said that there is a legitimate QB competition going on this year for the QB1. Uh, Taysom Hill's getting paid $9.4 million. Uh, I believe Winston was 10 with a 
or 12, 12 was i thought 12. $2 okay so 12 million yeah. so for all practical purposes it's about the same there is no money that suggests one guy is definitely going to start over the other uh in addition to that there was a report that i saw it was either today or yesterday that uh Sean Payton has been designing a 2 QB playbook basically and that they might run just two guys just all season long It'd be a total headache for fantasy and it's going to be some weird stuff but that's not out of Sean Payton's wheelhouse. That is definitely something he would do. Uh, so if I own Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, I'm definitely nervous. Uh, if I was you know, a betting guy, I, w- I would assume Jameis is probably the guy week one. But I, if you own him, you're going to see a lot of Taysom Hill in there. And I, outside of Kamara... He might be. He might be a sell if that's what you're alluding to. He might be if, a sell. If I because, had Winston, I would sell. Yes, just because. Yeah, because there's there's gonna be maybe two, three people in your league that are like, yo, this is Drew Brees's um, heir apparent. Yep. This is the guy that's gonna be there for the next ten years. It's like, I don't know, are they really gonna go through all that just to finish second to the Buccaneers in the NFC South every year? Like, that's probably not gonna happen. Um, but. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I think Jameis Winston is going to be a little bit, if he is the starting quarterback, will be inconsistent because of things that Taysom Hill mm-hmm. does. And I think it only amplifies when you're, when like, cause it's one thing to take Drew Brees off the field because he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's another thing to take Jameis Winston off the field in the red zone, probably because you don't want him to throw an interception also. And you just run the ball in with Taysom Hill or whatever the play design exactly. is. Exactly. So in my mind, I'm like, if I own Michael Thomas, I'm also looking to sell uh, because you could probably still get a ton of value back for him. A little bit like the Saquon, uh, Barkley conversation right now. I know Michael Thomas didn't tear his ACL, but you know, we don't know where his value will be after four weeks of the NFL season. So you can still get a lot from now, but then, uh, with, yeah, I, I want to own Alvin Kamara, but I'm, I'm hesitant. Just be, I'm not concerned. Well, with we, Alvin. well we saw, you know, Taysom really wasn't much of a, a check the ball down. Now that could change this off season. You could be like, Hey, you need to start doing this. You know, this is part of the offense kind of thing, but Again, I think we'll be able to tell after one week or two weeks, you know, is is Taysom actually going to check down the ball? Are they running this weird 2QB playbook kind of thing? So I, I would definitely hold on to Kamara. I'm not sure I'm going out of my way to buy him. If he happens to fall into an offer or something like that, then sure. But I would definitely be cautiously optimistic. The one, so one last thing I want to say about this is Kamara, when – I know everyone's concerned with Taysom Hill potentially being the starter as Kamara obviously didn't see a lot of receiving value – and his uh, red zone carries were down the time that Taysom Hill was in. But the problem with that is that that also coincided with Alvin Kamara being injured at the time. He was playing through injury. And not only that, I believe they played the Falcons twice in another bad team in that stretch of games. And then they had a bye week. And if you're Sean Payton, your, your Hall of Fame quarterback was already injured. And now your star running back is also hurt. And the reason I can say this and have proof for it is that his snaps went down significantly when Taysom Hill was the starter, and I don't think that was by accident. I think it was because they wanted to get to the bye week and get healthy when for when Drew Brees would come back and they'd eventually make the playoff push. So that's why I think he saw Latavius Murray play a little bit more, Taysom Hill not uh, or Alvin Kamara not run as many routes and be in, as involved in the receiving game. I just think it unfortunately coincided with Taysom Hill being the starting quarterback. I, I the there's a lot of people that are peddling the narrative that Alvin Kamara was terrible with Taysom Hill, and I think it's if you dig a little bit more into it and imagine it from a coaching. Uh, perspective, you can kind of see why that was the case. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. I, you know, like I said, I'm Alvin Kamara is probably the only guy I want to own. But even with two quarterbacks, you know, you just still don't know. It's the same thing with Winston. You just don't know if that consistency is going to be there that you want. Is yeah. the third year wide receiver breakout still a thing? Is that still a thing people do for Traquan? I'm kind of like I kind of want. I'm kind of talking myself into Traquan oh Smith God. here, but I do agree that. I think I know. I know. A lot of people are gonna do it. You're not gonna be. I didn't like him coming out. I I don't know why so many people. I I cannot tell you how many times I've I've had people ask me for advice. It's like, yo, I'm thinking about trading for Traycon. I'm just like, why? What? Just why? Because he's Kenny Kenny Britt, dude. He's Kenny Britt. We love Kenny Britt. Fan favorite. No, he's just. I mean, if 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 there was a time for Trey Con Smith to make his mark, it's next year. I mean, he, as of right now, he's their wide receiver too. And I don't know if the Saints are going to prioritize wide receiver in the draft. They might. It's a deep class. But I'm kind of intrigued by Trey Con Smith. But sorry, Andrew, you had something to say more important than <laughs> Trey Con Smith. So go ahead. I mean, I was going to harp on the Trey Con Smith thing. I was like, you know they're about to get a rookie, right? Please I mean, be Rondell Moore so I can hate him even more than yeah, I already yeah. do. Because he'll be on the Saints. I have a feeling it's going to happen. Just because I hate Rondell Moore so much, he's going to go to my mortal enemy. It's just going to (laughs) happen. 
Well, I won't have any shares then because, I mean, I, I think Jameis Winston's going to be okay. I only have one share. He's a lottery ticket. He's sitting right there at my like, QB4, QB5, depending on what Marcus Mariota decides to do himself. Which, actually, no, he's my QB5 right now because I got Cousins and Wentz already. But I think people who got him, I don't know if you're going to be able to get anything because of what y'all two have already kind of talked about, the concerns with Taysom Hill as far as, like, do they give Winston an actual shot to just go out and run the playbook just for him, or are they going to set it up to doing trick plays every two seconds between Taysom and Jameis? I think Winston has enough talent. He could be useful. But the offense as a whole, when it comes to fantasy, it's only ever been able to support two guys. And for the longest time, it's been Michael Thomas and now Alvin Kamara. So even if one of those two go down, there's only going to be one other fantasy-relevant player that I'm really looking into. So if you want Winston, he's going to be literally just a QB4 stash and hope he goes off. It's kind of what I'm hoping. I hope he goes off the first couple of weeks so I can turn around and move him because I don't need a QB5 even in a two-quarterback setting. He's going to go off the board as a top-20 quarterback. Yeah, you know sure. that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going to because he's the starting quarterback for an NFL team. He's 25 years old or 26 years old and former first overall pick, and he has a clear path assuming he can beat out Taysom Hill, which he should be able to to potentially being the heir apparent in a Sean Payton offense with good coaching, good play calling, and pretty good weapons as well. So, I mean, he's going to be pretty expensive. It's going to depend where I kind of see the value and who's around him. Um, but I have a feeling I'm probably going to be a little bit more skeptical than a lot of people will be, and they'll probably just be all in on the Jameis to the Saints uh, experience. Yeah, it depends. You know, it's just it's not the right time of year when you're trying to sell a vet. Everybody's got that rookie fever, so vets don't go for anything, but then you wait until right before the season. Everybody's like, yep, I'm going to be number one this year. And there's going to be 11, 13, 15 other people who are going to be like, yep, I'm number one, and somebody's going to get left behind. So I think that's going to be the move for most people. If you've got Winston, you don't trust the dude, wait till the season. You're going to get probably the second who runs the starting job, you sell him. Oh, easily. Any hype news? Counterpoint. I drafted him, I drafted him in the 13th round of our – Scout startup before Breeze officially retired and he resigned, and I think I'm going to trade him to Matt for a okay. haul yeah. before the season starts. But I am intrigued. I am intrigued by Jameis, but I do think that they'll use Hill uh, even more than last year. But I'm intrigued. I mean, he threw for five, over 5,000 yards two years ago. Like, how can you not be intrigued by this guy in a Sean Payton offense? I don't know if he's worth the cost. Like you said, Corey, like his, his cost is definitely going to get up there, but Man, I'm you intrigued. could also take a different angle and wait till like week seven or eight when he's not producing the numbers you want and buy low because he's only on a one year contract and a team like Chicago next year could go out and you know sign him and if you know if it doesn't work out with the Saints and are like yeah we definitely can't run this you know he this is just not going to work you know he's going to ask for more money that kind of thing so he could be starting somewhere else in twenty twenty two so what are the, what are the odds he just grows a beard and beca- has a bunch of kids and becomes Ryan Fitzpatrick for the that's next gar- that's, like, that's Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew's the next Fitzpatrick. True. Ooh, I like that. All right, let's uh, pivot to a situation and a player that we've talked about a bit on this show, and I think maybe some controversy has entered the room around James Robinson for once because we mostly have agreed on here, but I think Corey might have some some alternative opinions, but I feel like adding Carlos Hyde to this backfield is really just a boost of confidence for J-Rob because he's like a worse, older version of J-Rob. So I feel like, if anything, he's just there as a bit of a security blanket for J-Rob. I don't know. Matt, why don't you spit some truth on James Robinson? Okay. James Robinson is the RB1 for the Jacks. No. He... I'm not disagreeing He's not that. going to have the same snap percentage or what was it, an 85%, 87% opportunity share that he yeah. had last year. That's that's ridiculous. That's unheard of. handful of players have that every once in a while. That was last year. We're going to move on. But this offense was dead last in rushing opportunity last year, and they are getting a uh, very high-profile quarterback. The offense is going to be much more efficient. They've signed several wide receivers. He's James Robinson and the offense as a whole is going to operate more smoothly. So even at a 60, 65, maybe even 70% snap share, whatever it may be, he's still going to put up close to the same numbers he did last year. Uh, I believe he had 240, 240 240. carries. Uh, 
that's that's pretty reasonable. They're, because, again, they, they were 31st or 32nd in rush opportunity. So they're going to hand the ball off more than they did last year. Uh, you expect them to be in more positive game scripts than they were last year. It was, I think what makes James Robinson so impressive is that what he did last year was basically in a negative game script from the first snap in week one. And he was still able to do that. So now you put him in a positive game script where teams like, now we're going to run the ball. We're going to hit a clock. We want to win, so on and so forth. Uh, that's going to help. And I think Trevor Lawrence is an upgrade over Minshew and Jake Lutton and Tall Neck. But, you know, James Robinson is the RB1. I think he finishes in the top 12. I think his floor is around 15 or 16. Hyde's going to come in. He's definitely going to take some carries. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's very comparable to Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. You have a clear one. You have a clear two. The the one is going to get 60 to 70% snap share, and the other guy's going to clean up with 80, you know, 80 carries to 100 carries, uh, a handful of receptions uh, that will spell him from time to time. I do think they add somebody in the draft. I think it will be probably in the fourth round or later as another depth piece. But it's James Robinson's job. Go buy him. So I agree with you. Yes, James Robinson is definitely the running back to own in Jacksonville. I do think 65, 60% of the opportunity share is probably what you're looking at. My thing is, like, obviously, does it help that James Robinson did not just see Chris Carson walk in the door of his backfield? Yes, obviously, Carlos Hyde over Chris Carson any day of the week for people that own James Robinson or are a fan of James Robinson. Hyde is one of those dudes, though, that coaches love. Like, he's restricted guys like Nick Chubb. He's restricted guys like Chris Carson in the past. And his ability to do everything, it does downgrade James Robinson for me. And he also has a connection with the coach. And we saw this last year with Robbie Anderson and Matt Rule that you basically, when you have someone that you trust, you kind of just roll with them initially. And I'm not saying that they're just going to give the workload to Hyde just because they trust Carlos Hyde. But I think he's going to be an annoying thorn in the side of James Robinson owners. And all that being said, James Robinson is a good RB2. That's the way I see him. That's the way I've always seen him. This doesn't change it, whether they add a third or fourth round rookie probably won't change it either. I just, his league leading 85% opportunity share is likely going to go down to 65%. It's still a bad offense, whether Trevor Lawrence is, he's a rookie quarterback. It's still a bad defense. They're still going to not be able to get off the field on defense and still have a lot of plays run against them. I, I just don't think his game scripts change all that much. Maybe you, you said they were dead last in the rushing yards in the league last year. I mean, what are they going to be 26 this year? Like, I'm sure that that's better, obviously, but it's not good still. And you, you already mentioned the point about the Jets receivers that you don't like attaching yourself to bad organizations, bad franchises, bad teams. That's, that's the Jags too. The Jags are a terrible team. They're a terrible franchise. I just don't. And on top of all that, I also don't think James Robinson's that good. I, 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 that's, that's where this all stems for me is that I think he's maybe the 20th best running back in the league, which is a starting caliber running back. But if you're telling me I, I could have a guy like, I don't know who I have ranked ahead of him. I have all three of the rookie running backs, the big three rookie running backs ranked ahead of him, pending their landing spots, obviously Antonio Gibson, Deandre Swift, uh, JK Dobbins, even miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards. Hilaire. I'd rather those guys are a lot closer to James Robinson, but I would rather have those guys over him just because their offenses are better. He's a guy, once you talk about Josh Jacobs versus James Robinson, that's when it's a conversation to me. He, I mean, I, I act like I hate the guy. He's my RB20. So he's not like super, super low, but he is a guy that I see as an RB2 and not an RB1. Interesting. I, I've heard some new stuff today. I haven't got to hear this out of Corey in a while. So I'm going to say like, I, I kind of agree. I think Hyatt is going to be that kind of that trustworthy vet they can go to certain situations. I do not think, though, that it's going to end up eating into J-Rob's ultimate output. Uh, like I've said before, my big concern is just how much do we really expect the efficiency to go up? Uh, we know he's going to get the volume. It's just how much does the efficiency go up? I think it comes down to almost like the David Montgomery situation we saw last year. We know he's going to get the volume, but how much is that offense really going to push forward with that one particular player? Now, if something goes wrong with Hyde and it goes back to an 85-plus percent uh, share, Anybody who's gotten James Robinson, who's probably going around RB16, I would guess, based off most startups I've been listening to, is going to get a fantastic value. I think otherwise, if Hyde's still there the whole season, I think he's going to be that low-end RB1. Maybe, oh, let's say, I've probably capped the ceiling around RB9, honestly, because 
There is just there's a lot. And of I, I agree with you on the on the ceiling part. Yeah, he has definitely has a back end RB one ceiling, but that that's basically the the highest I see him. And some of the guys I mentioned have higher ceilings because they are better players. They're in better. They're on better teams and they're in better offenses. I I, I think it all just comes down to the investment of the coaching staff, right? And obviously, Urban Meyer came out and said the right things for people that have James Robinson. He came out and said we're going to build this. Um, running back core around him but again that means they're going to add to it which means he's going to dilute his his opportunity share and for a guy that I mean maybe he gets to that 222 uh 240 range in terms of carries 60 targets is a lot Gardner Minshew threw at one of the highest clips in uh in the NFL to his running back so I, I do think that number comes down especially if they add someone who's a capable pass catching running back, which I mean, Hyde already is, but they could add maybe like a, I don't know, a Michael Carter in the draft or something, even maybe someone even later than that, but who's like a good pass catcher. So on top of all of that, when we're talking from a dynasty perspective, this is a UDFA. And honestly, we've seen this story before. Philip Lindsay was a great rookie, right? He was great. He made the pro bowl as a rookie rush for a thousand yards as a rookie, but they were always finding ways to replace him. They, they, used Royce Freeman more in his second year. Then they brought in Melvin Gordon in his third year. I just don't see them automatically just going, yep, James Robinson's you're, you're the guy for the, th- the three years that we have you under contract. I, I think they're always going to be looking to upgrade. He's kind of like a running back purgatory thing in, in my mind of the way that I think that they're viewing him. Again, I could be wrong and pretty much I'm not going to know the answer to this until the offseason is over. But I anticipate the volume being there, yes, but not RB1 volume. And the talent, again, is a thing that I've questioned also. So I, I don't know if I dropped this in the Patreon, but I, I do want to share this with you guys. This could be – Jeff, this could be your insider's corner right here. I got a little little thing for you. So I actually uh, had the privilege of meeting someone who works inside the Jags uh, building over the last couple of weeks, and, and we've had a lot of several uh, good conversations. And he kind of let me in on, on James Robinson and his thoughts and how the team views him. Now – Based on this statement, it's obviously a wait and see because we just we don't know yet. But the the vibe that he's got from the team and the personnel, he said that there's a very good chance that James Robinson's career arc looks very similar to Arian Foster's minus the injuries. Fingers crossed, obviously, because you can't predict those. But the Jags do think that they have the next quote unquote Arian Foster undrafted guy who turns out to just be an absolute stud. So again, we will wait and see, but that's what I've been told that they think of him. Which, I and mean, that's, that's, that's encouraging. They're obviously not going to tell you that he right. stinks. So there's there's that. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely do think they think highly of the guy. Again, it's it's more so the baseline of all of this stuff and all the question marks that follow it is that I don't think the guy's that good. And that's a person. That's a personal thing. He could prove me wrong. If he's the ultimate outlier, I'm sure Arian Foster was had the cards and decks stacked against him as well. And I... If this was, I don't know, nine years ago, I'd be dead wrong on Arian Foster, and I'm happy to eat the bullet and say that James Robinson is a great player if he proves me wrong. But I am willing to bet on the guys that have the draft capital, that have more of the the talent, and they have the better offense and again the better coaching staff. I don't really like what the Jags are doing. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be that great of a coach. I think the staff he's assembling has a number of question marks. Daryl Bevel and uh, Brian Schottenheimer are running See, the offense. To me, that I can get I can get behind that statement as a Seahawks fan. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't give me a lot of hope um, to indicate that Trevor Lawrence is just going to hit the ground running and be this awesome quarterback because I don't think Trevor Lawrence is a perfect prospect. I think he's one of the best that's ever come out, but he's not a perfect prospect. And I've always been of the mindset that the landing spot, the the nurture, the the nest that you build for a young quarterback is more important than the, any physical talent that they had coming out because no quarterback gets drafted in the first round without physical talent, without the measurables and the athleticism and all that stuff. So if they can't coach him up, Trevor Lawrence at the next level, then that's going to have a negative effect on the offense altogether. And then we're talking about another rebuild for the Jags. Yeah. I actually thought you were a little lower on him, Corey. We're not, we're not so different after all. Um, I have James Robinson at 14 behind Swift, behind Dobbins, Swift, CEH and Miles Sanders. And that's without rookies. So I'm maybe I'm somewhere in the middle between I see him as kind of a high end RB two. Maybe we're somewhere in the middle between uh, Matt and Andrew here. But I have had a Joe Mixon if that makes you guys feel better because that guy. Um, yeah. 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 I speaking of uh, well it, the reason the Broncos fa- keep replacing Philip Lindsay is because he's a, 
180 pounds soaking wet. Robinson is thick, and he can. Robinson's a banger. He can. He can. He can take on a workhorse role. I'm not sure Philip Lindsay can, but speaking of Philip uh, Lindsay, the Broncos gave him an original round tender. I'm interested to see what his market in Jets. is in his landing spot. He's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. The Jets, Jets would be interesting. An original round tender, so a UDFA tender. The, the Jets. Yeah, so they're gonna. He's he's as good. I would as keep gone. an eye on the Jets. Yeah. The Cardinals. I mean, Cardinals. Like, Cardinals make make a lot of sense. I. We uh we did a free agent predictions on our on our show and actually we predicted him to go to the Jags, which was kind of funny, um because he is type of the I don't know he's like the lightning type of running back that James Robinson's more of the Thunder style like um banger obviously so yeah Philip Lindsay to me he doesn't have a whole lot of soul fantasy value wherever he goes he's more gonna like ruin someone else's fantasy value kind of kind of player I think because I think he's good enough to challenge for like a one B type of role and I but I don't think he's good enough to to become like anything really important in fantasy on his own i think there's a misconception about him that he's this like quick scat back kind of guy but he's he's too small to bang you know on like short yardage situations or be an every down guy but he's not a good pass catcher and he's not a no, good blocker no, so he, he can't play on third down so it's really like what it, like where does he fit i mean if Sounds you're like jared patterson <laughs> Let's not get started on Jared Patterson, okay? We got to end the show now because I can't go down this road. Um, we could keep talking fan or uh, free agency, but I, what I mean, what are we going to talk about? Dalton and the Bears? You guys really want to no, subject stinks. our audience to that? I, yeah. As we were recording, there was a report that the the Bills are the favorite to land Zach Ertz. So how do we feel about that if that happens? I don't know. Maybe they'll sign Kyle Rudolph and collect an entire retirement home of tight ends. I like it. I don't know if he if he goes to the Bills, it's like, what what do we all like about Zach Ertz in Philadelphia? It was always volume. It was never his his ability. It was always volume. So as long as, as if he goes to Indianapolis, then he's interesting because Carson Wentz is there. But unless he goes to a place that is just a volume hog type of area, which I don't think the Buffalo is because they have um, Diggs and Beasley and a number of other guys that are going to command targets, I, I'm I wouldn't be interested in Ertz from that. Perspective. Gabriel Davis, Emmanuel Sanders, Zach Ertz. Cole, yes, Cole, yeah, they Cole signed Beasley. Sanders. Yeah, I forgot Those are all really good real life football moves. The only two guys that care about is Josh Allen and Diggs, and then there's everybody else. So Ertz yeah. going there does nothing for me. The Do the Dawson Knox truthers are going to be dead in a hole somewhere. I was yeah. I was just going to mention. But, I mean, come on, I, I, Dawson Knox is a better player than I Zach guess Ertz. the Bills. The I mean, Bills clearly on. think that that's why they're trading for him. Dawson Knox needs to be a good player because that way he adds to the Elijah Moore is a great prospect argument because he was behind Dawson Knox at Ole Miss. <laughs> Fair enough. Still produced 400 yards as a freshman behind Metcalf, Lodge, Brown, and Knox. Yeah, Elijah Moore is going to be a value. But Love Zach Ertz, I mean, you're, you're hit at any tight end. You want to chase volume. They need to be a top two target for their team. They need to be some kind of athletic profile for the most part because we don't get a lot of Jason Wittens anymore who just get pure volume and just catch it, drops where they are, and keep going. So, I mean, that's going to be with any situation. Zach Ertz isn't somebody you really need in any type of scenario unless you're playing two tight end. You need a bye week feel for me personally. I guess the only thing that would make Zach Ertz interesting to me is kind of like when they traded for Diggs a year ago. You know, they gave up a first. And at that point, that's when it caught my attention with Diggs. I'm like, you don't give up a first and not throw this guy the ball. They're going to throw this guy the ball, you know, 300 times. Literally the biggest hit of my offseason was that I had Diggs in my top 15 yeah. and nobody I else. Thought, I thought, I'm with you. I, you know, I, I thought that was an easy call. So it's kind of the same thing. I know the Eagles are asking for a second or a third. The third is kind of so-so. But no if they, it, but I'm just saying, it, it, if they do end up getting a second, that's an eyebrow raiser because then, you know, the Bills gave up their second round pick. You know they're gonna. This guy's gonna be a part of the offense, and then it's something to do. But if they don't get that, they have to settle for something. Turns out to be a four, five, six, whatever it may be, a swap of you know fifths or something like that. I'm, I'm thinking it's yeah, like a fifth th round. Then it's or a lot less like interesting. That's what I would imagine. Yeah, we'll see. That'll be that'll be telling. But that's gonna do it for our uh, free agency edition of the podcast this week we'll be back next week probably talking more free agents i mean honestly there's a lot of good names still out there uh a lot of good landing spots too for guys i mean we just talked about indianapolis tight end situation praying for my guy gerald everett to land there we'll see but 
Remember, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Get signed up with us. Get a lot of this rookie content. We are now doing um, some Patreon-only podcasts that have been great so far. So you want to go there, get signed up for our Patreon um, and get the inside info you won't get anywhere else.